ವಸುದೇವಸುತಾಣೂರಮರ್ದನಂ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದಂ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು If I remember correctly, we had um, studied the seventh verse of the seventh chapter, right? So, that's an important verse. Matta parataram nanyat kinchidasti dhananjaya mai sarvam idam protam sutre maniganaiva. There's nothing higher than me, um, O Arjuna. In me is all this, all this. strung like gems on a string so he gives an example of a necklace so we have all sorts of precious stones in necklace but what is often not seen a scene is uh, there is this uh, string which threads the necklace together like the thread on which all the gems hang or in his commentary to this verse shankaracharya gives the example of uh, a cloth uh, which is nothing but the thread which is woven into the cloth so when you inquire into look into the cloth you find just thread it's woven back and forth up and down and that's the cloth um here one must not make them uh, fall into the mistake of thinking oh so the gems are something different and the thread is something different it's true that the thread keeps the gems together but they are different things um in this case um, for god and the universe they're not different things the universe itself is uh, a manifestation is exists because of god because god is existence itself sat being itself without god there is no being in that sense if you extend the metaphor then, then uh, god is both the thread the string and the uh, gems uh, then the necklace example doesn't work too well in that case but here krishna just means that i am that which keeps this entire universe together the whole universe is set in being in existence just like you might say all the pottery is set in clay or all the waves are set in water now we have been introduced so far to three concepts of god the seventh chapter onwards as i remarked earlier uh, from here the emphasis is going to be on god before this the emphasis was on inquiry into who am i or what am i the self Uh, now from 7th to to the uh, 12th chapters 6th chapters the emphasis is on uh, that god the ultimate reality of this universe um we have been introduced to three concepts of god so far the first concept of god is god is the personal god whom we love adore worship uh, who is the god of all religions uh, vishnu in Vaish- vaishnavism in hinduism we have a whole range of conceptions of this uh, this sort uh, vishnu in vaishnavism the devi durga or kali in shaktaism um in shaivism it is shiva so these are all multiple conceptions of the same reality which in vedanta is called saguna brahman brahman with attributes brahman with qualities also this is the god of theistic religions uh, you find the same uh, conception in uh christianity islam judaism why do we why do you say it's the same conception because of this thing which krishna says i am the cause the sustainer and ultimately the dissolver of the entire universe so whichever religion you have when they talk about god one thing will be common that 
God is the creator of the universe. God as the creator. So that if that idea is there, then we are all talking about the same reality. We are talking about the personal God of the universe. But this God is different from the universe. God produces the universe um, by his, her, or its uh, unlimited power and intelligence and glory. But God is not the universe. The second conception of God we get, which Krishna says here, is that the universe and all its living beings, all its sentient beings like us and all other beings, we are not just the created. We are not something separate from God. In fact, we are all in God and inseparable from God. We are all, let's say, put it this way, we are all inseparable parts of God. So God and the universe and all sentient beings are an organic unity. The way Krishna put it in this chapter is that I have two natures. One is my higher nature, which is all sentient beings whose nature is I myself, I as consciousness, existence, bliss, and the lower nature as this entire universe. Um, so this is the second conception of God. Swami Vivekananda says, we Hindus worship a transcendent, immanent God. A transcendent, immanent God. Transcendent means um, God is, of course, beyond the universe. God has to be transcendent. Um, immanent comes next. Transcendent means beyond this universe. Transcending space, time, creation, beyond this. If it is not, if God does not transcend the universe in some sense, then it's not God. It's part of the universe. It will be like stars and planets and whales and uh, amoeba and all. One more thing in this universe. No. In that case, it can't be God. The one thing which distinguishes ideologies, say something like communism or um, Freudian psychoanalysis or capitalism, things like that. Ideologies of, uh, you know, some people say, aren't they like religions? No, they are not like religions. Freud himself has made the distinction. What is the difference between religion and all other ideologies? The material ideologies are all, they have one thing in common. There is nothing transcendent. It is this universe only, whatever they're talking about. It could be Marxism, it could be ecological movement, it could be communism, capitalism. They're all of this world. Religion is that which talks about something which transcends this world. So a transcendent God, but also immanent. This is the second conception of God. God is not only transcendent, but also immanent in this universe. Immanent means... Um, Sri Krishna here has, ex uh, has explained that this universe is my nature. There is nothing beyond me. And so this universe is also not outside of me. Uh, I am the material of this universe. So uh, now then comes the question of the cause of the universe. So uh, there is this material cause and what you might call intelligent cause. Nimitta karana and upadana karana. Like a carpenter makes furniture out of wood, the wood is the um, material cause, upadana karana, and the carpenter himself is the uh, intelligent cause. Whereas in Vedanta, or, or in fact, in general in Hinduism, the two are not different. After all, if, the, if God is only the intelligence behind the universe and not the material of the universe, and then the material of the universe is something that exists outside God. 
apart from God. And there are such conceptions. In the Nyaya philosophy, for example, they talk about God being the, uh, you know, the supreme soul and the universe is constructed out of free-floating atoms, which presumably exist uh, apart from God. A pretty scientific, or at least very good scientific thinking in pre-scientific times. Um, but the idea was that if God is truly infinite, then there cannot be any reality apart from God. So the material of the universe, whatever it is, must be nothing other than God. So it must be, um, you know, projected or produced, or uh, it must be an appearance in God. And so in Vedanta, the example of a spider is given. Uh, it's given in, in the Mundaka Upanishad. Yathor nanavi srijate grinhatecha. As the spider spins out a web and absorbs it back uh, out of its own body. So the web is produced by the spider, not out of anything else, but out of its own body. The spider as a sentient being is the intelligent cause of the web and the body of the spider is the material cause of the web. So nimitta karana, upadana karana, intelligent cause and material cause are one and the same entity. That is why in Vedanta, Brahman, the ultimate reality, here Saguna Brahman, Brahman with attributes, uh, is called the one indivisible intelligent and material cause of the universe. Abhinna nimitta upadana karana Brahma. Brahman is the one single entity, which is the intelligent cause and the material cause. Why am I going on and on about this? What difference does it make? It makes a huge amount of difference, big difference, because if God is the material cause of this universe, then God exists in the universe. If clay is the material cause of the universe, then the part of the clay is there in the part itself. Once the part is made, you can't ask that, oh, clay is the great um, transcendent cause and that you can't see the clay. You can only see the part. The poor part is there. But the part is all, nothing but the same clay. So uh, just as water is the material cause of the universe, uh, of, the, of the ocean, and water exists in all the waves of the ocean. Um, similarly, if God is the material cause of the universe, then God is there in everything that comprises the universe. And when God is defined as existence, consciousness, bliss, especially when God is defined as existence, then it becomes pretty obvious. It becomes a no-brainer, so to say. When you look around, everything is existing. So in that sense, God is the material cause of the universe. Anything to exist must depend on existence itself. So, um, now we have the second conception of God. God is not only transcendent, but transcendent and immanent. God is not only different from the universe, but um, the universe uh, as immanent in and through the universe, available everywhere in the universe. There's a, um, a monk asked the question, where will you find God? And the answer is actually Swami Ashokanandaji, our uh, Swami in San Francisco many years ago. So he asks one of, in one of his talks rhetorically, where will you find God? Foolish question. Where will you not find God? If God is the imminent um, reality in this universe, then whatever you experience in the universe is God, rightly seen. A cup is a cup, a plate is a plate, no doubt. It's not God. But then rightly seen, you will be able to discern the divinity right there itself. So imminent, transcendent, imminent God. This is the second conception, and that's what he's talking about right now. Krishna is talking about. 
by saying that the universe is my lower nature, he means that, that uh, it is I alone which appears in that form. Then the third conception of God, third conception of God is the ultimate reality, the conception in Advaita Vedanta. Brahman is existence itself, consciousness itself, bliss itself, Sat, Chit, Ananda. Um, how do we come to the third conception of God? It's of course there in the Upanishads, but let us follow the same track of the material cause. So God is the material cause of the universe. That means all that we see around here, there must be God there. Just like in all the pottery, there is clay, in all the waves, there is water. In the entire universe, there must be God. Now, the material cause of anything, when you produce something, when you make something, generally you work on the material cause. The carpenter does something to the wood and makes it into a table and a chair. And uh, the potter does something to um, the clay and makes it into different kinds of pot. Even more so, uh, the clay does not change too much, wood doesn't change too much, but something like milk. So, uh, what is the name of that ice cream uh, thing? That um, Stone, cold stone. No, stone cold, something like that. So, there if you go, they are taking the milk and it's not just milk. They're transforming it into, into various kinds of products. Milk, when you make it into yogurt, uh, you cold stone creamery, correct. So, you, it is transformed. It's no longer milk. When it's yogurt, for example, it's no longer milk. Really, it has been the major changes which have taken place in it. So, it is the same material, but it is transformed. It is changed. Now, when God is appearing as the universe, in tables and chairs and cups and plates and um, human beings and animals, what a tremendous change. So, God has changed? Has God changed into the universe? What kind of a material cause is God? Does, is it a changing material cause? So, if God changes into the universe, that is called, in, um, in Vedanta it is called Parinamavada. So, the material cause which is transformed into its effect. The cause is transformed into the effect. Milk is transformed into yogurt. A seed is transformed into the seedling, the sapling or the plant. The huge transformation. It's not the same thing. Transformation is not apparent so much in, uh, say, wood into furniture or uh, clay into uh, parts or even less in, say, water into a wave. But in some cases, there's a huge transformation. So this transformation of the material, it's the same material, but pretty transformed. That is called Parinamavada, which says the original material is no longer available. It has been transformed into the effect. Milk has been transformed into yogurt. Uh, that's the classic example. Is God like that? Has God been transformed into the universe? Then huge problems arise. First of all, that means God is not an eternal verity that, which is not subject to change. That means God is subject to change. God changes. Uh, God is, cannot, can now can be affected. If God has become this universe, God is entirely within the range of law, cause and effect in the law of karma. Then God becomes trapped in the universe. Then what kind of God is it? If God is affected by the good and the bad of the universe really changed. If God has really been changed into especially bad things in evil and suffering, then it's not much of a God then. Then why call it God? Just call it the universe. Um, so that is one kind of material cause. 
So in Advaita Vedanta, that idea is rejected. And the second kind of material cause is accepted. What is the second kind of material cause? The apparent transformation. In Sanskrit, this is called Vivartavada. What was the first one called? Real transformation, Parinamavada. Apparent transformation, Vivartavada. Example, snake rope. The rope does not change into a snake. It appears like a snake. Blue sky. In morning, startling blue of the sky. So today, it was so blue and, um, uh, you know, the sky outside and shiny. And from inside the, uh, you know, your room, you wouldn't guess that it was minus 17 Celsius <laughs> outside uh, in here in New York. I mean, it feels like it was uh, actually nine, minus 9 Celsius and then with wind chill, it was minus 17 or minus 18. Blue, the startling blue of the sky. Is it blue? Did the sky become blue? No. In the night, does the sky become black? No. It looks like that. Because of the scattering of light, it looks like that. So without any transformation of um, the rope into the snake, it looks like a snake. Cause, rope, effect, snake. But that cause has not been transformed into the effect. Cause, sky, effect, blue sky. But the sky has not been transformed into the blue sky. It it's just looks like that, apparent. Apparent transformation, vivartavada. Now, here is the thing. Advaita Vedanta says, it is true. Brahman is the uh, cause of the universe. But here is how it works. Brahman is the material cause of the universe. But Brahman is the vivartakaran, is the apparent, apparently transforming material cause of the universe. Brahman, remaining Brahman, appears as this universe. Maya, the power of Brahman, is transformed into the universe. Brahman is the vivartakarana and Maya is the parinamakarana of the universe. So, Maya is transformed. Maya is con constituted of three gunas and the three gunas combine and recombine and change uh, and then produce the uh, elements and uh, they again combine to produce the gross elements, subtle elements to gross elements to uh, the, you know, the mind and life and body and the worlds, all that we saw in the Vedanta, Sara, the, the cosmology of the universe. But all of that is a transformation of Maya, appearance of Brahman. Brahma Vivarta uh, Maya Parinama. I'll repeat that. Brahma Vivarta Maya Parinama. Appearance of Brahman transformation of maya like our dreams it's an appearance in the mind and a transformation of the uh, the state called deep sleep it is or, or sleep sorry you fall asleep that sleep itself is transformed into the uh, illusion of the uh, of the dream and what is appearing there mind it's not that mind has been actually transformed into people and things and places no it's an appearance in the mind but what is the cause there which is transformed into all of this? The, cause, the transforming cause, you, if you anything at all, uh, you'll call it the sleep, which is like ignorance. Similarly, in Vedanta, Brahman, Satchidananda is the uh, Parinami, is the Vivarta Karana, the apparent, apparently transforming cause. And Maya or ignorance is the uh, transforming cause, um, Parinama Karana. So, Brahman itself then is together because Maya and Brahman are not separate. So, Abhinna, Nimitta, Upadana, Karana is Vivarta and Parinama. Vivarta as Brahman, Parinama as Maya. 
All right. In that case, if Brahman is only appearing as this universe, if the rope is only appearing as the snake, then there is no real universe. Really nothing has happened. It's not that there is a snake which became, there is a rope which became a snake, like the milk which became yogurt. The milk really became yogurt, but the rope did not really become a snake. There are not two things. There is only one thing, which is a rope, which by mistake appears as a snake. You correct that mistake, a rope remains a rope. No question of a snake anymore. Similarly, Brahman did not become this universe. It only by error, it appears as the display of the universe. Correct it for an enlightened person. If you ask that enlightened person, you say, do you see this universe? You say, yes. You really see a universe? You say, no. <laughs> it is, it's Brahman and Brahman only. So there is no real universe here. If there is no real universe here, Brahman there is not, the ultimate reality is not a cause of the universe. Of what would it be a cause? If there is no real effect, then there is no real cause also. So the Brahman loses its causality. It's not a, a cause of this universe. This very topic is explained in great detail and great sophistication by Gaudapada Acharya in the third chapter of the Mandukya Karika, which is called uh, Advaita Prakaranam. So there he uses logic, very subtle logic to demonstrate Brahman is actually not the cause of the universe. God is not the creator of the universe. Oh, then who is the creator of the universe? No question. There is no universe. <laughs> Why talk about a creator? So, uh, Brahman is the only reality that is. So, that's the third conception of God, which is Nirguna Brahman. Brahman is pure being, existence, consciousness, uh, bliss. What is it to us? You are that. Tattvamasi. See, here is a very big difference. Practically, it makes a very big difference. The first conception of God, personal God of religion. Vishnu, Shiva, Devi, Allah, uh, Father in heaven, Jehovah. What do you do with that? You have faith in God. You, are, you worship. You are devoted. Uh, bhakti. Devotion. Faith. Adoration. The second conception of God. Same bhakti, devotion, faith, adoration, worship. But now, uh, intimately available everywhere in all things. In thousand different ways, God is revealing himself to this this idea is there in when swami vivekananda says shiva jnana jiva seva the formula he got from sri ramakrishna knowing the jiva to be none other than shiva you worship so it can be interpreted in this way but again it is worship upasya brahman the word brahman to be worshipped but the third one the nirguna brahman the absolute of advaita vedanta is the gnya brahman the brahman to be realized known as I myself, I am that, that is I. So these are the three conceptions. You can easily see um, Dvaita Vedanta is primarily the first conception. Vishishta Dvaita Vedanta is the second conception. And Advaita Vedanta is primarily the third conception. But now we are in the second conception. And uh, Krishna is going to not say, I am the cause of this entire universe is held together in me. like. Uh, pearls or gems on a string and uh, then he's going to talk about the universe. Let's see what he does. From the 8th, 9th and 10th, 11th, 12th verses. So the 8th verse. 
रसोहम अपसुकांतेय प्रभास्मी शशि सूर्यो प्रणव सर्वेदेशु शब्द खे पौरुषम ऋषु आई एम ओसन ऑफ कुंती सेपिडिटी इन वॉटर लश्चर इन द मून एंड द सन द सिलेबल ओम इन ऑल द वेदस साउंड इन ईसर एंड एंटरप्राइज इन मैन what did he say here look at this universe krishna say saying to arjuna look at this universe arjuna uh, in water i am the i am taste in water uh, i am light in you know sun and the moon i am the om the essence of the vedas i am sound in ether i am the manliness or the or the power or capacity and in human beings which makes them human beings now this is pretty interesting what he did here you know traditional advaitic explanation would have been uh, i am um, with this water air sun moon human beings vedas all of them i am existence so without me they can't exist so they are all appearances in me because of maya i am the reality of all of them this is straightforward advaitic explanation but here a problem may arise yes um you are existence but um, you know water is different from light light is different from earth earth is different from fire you know the five elements space uh, air fire water and earth they're all different from each other human beings are different from animals um the vedas are different from uh, secular texts so these differences the unique characteristics of these ones you are saying your existence fine but what makes them different is not existence there is something that differentiates clearly they are different from each other clearly all these entities in this universe you are seeing they have their unique characteristics so these unique characteristics which give i know they, they that is you give existence to all of it but these unique characteristics which differentiates one thing from another which creates this wonderful variety because of which the universe is there otherwise it would be a featureless existence only so this variety this difference then it's something other than you it is not you so krishna's answer uh, here here is the way he has put it is quite interesting what makes each thing in this universe unique that too i am that is not something other than me so we'll see what what he's trying to say here um first of all a little introduction to the the five elements cosmology this i have referred so many times but i have never gone into this aspect of it uh, the five elements uh, space air fire water uh, and earth uh, this is something common to not only uh, indian thought but lot of uh, ancient thought you find it in china you find it in greece now in sankhya and vedanta vedanta just borrows it from upanishads from which sankhya further developed it so the whole universe is made of these things and we saw that in vedanta sar also from and upanishads themselves say in the taittiriya upanishad it is said from brahman uh, or from atman emer- appears sky and from there appears air from there comes uh, fire and water and earth tasmad va etasmad atmana akasha sambhu akasha sambhuta um आकाशाद वायु वायोर अग्नि अग्नेर आपह अद्भ्य पृथ्वी 
So this is how the five elements have emerged. But it goes a little deeper than that. Why these five elements? Remember, in Vedanta, this entire cosmology, the way the universe is described, is not physics or uh, is cosmology as we know it. It's not actually a study of the objective universe. It is, but not with that sense. It is a study of how we experience. So it's not really a study of atoms and subatomic particles. No, it's how we experience the world. We means we human beings who are seeking enlightenment. So this is, remember, this is entirely a technology designed not to explain the universe, designed to take you to enlightenment. This whole Vedanta or all these philosophies, they're all structured around our experience of the universe so that something is to be pointed out by, um, from this description. What do I mean by our experience of the universe? What constitutes our experience of the universe? Just now, we see, we see things, we hear sounds, we smell, we taste, we touch. The five senses are our primary source of experiencing life. Mind is a second-hand creature. Mind just churns on the, on the data provided by the senses. If you're completely without senses, the mind would probably fall asleep very soon. Uh, or if you are a yogi, you would go into meditation or samadhi. But the senses are which pull in data and they, they uh, it's like what they do is like throwing a stone into a pool. If you take a pebble and toss it into a pool, it will set ripples in the, in the pool. Similarly, these are like pebbles being thrown in by the uh, senses, forms, you know, colors and shapes, sounds, smells, taste, touch. And we have all sorts of uh, this multidimensional experience, which we call life. Now, the way these uh, ancients saw it was, what causes us it's true. Ultimately, there's pure consciousness, and in that, mind is functioning. Mind appears and functions. Let's go a little further out. Clearly, the senses have different uh, you know, abilities. So what causes us to see forms? And they said there's a unique material reality called fire, which appears as form to our eyes. What causes us to you know, feel taste? There's a unique material reality called water, which creates taste in our taste buds. So you can see it's not exactly the water we see outside or the fire with which we talk about. All sorts of forms, anything that you see is, is uh, the material fire. It, it gives forms. It gives radiance to the eyes. Then um, smell. So there is a material entity called earth whose unique experienceability, the way we experience it is through fragrance or smell. Now, what they thought was that all these five elements are the locus, are the, the cause for giving us these experiences. There's something like space, which gives us the experience of sound. There is something, space or ether, it gives us the experience of sound. There's something like air, which gives us the experience of touch. Something like fire, gives us the experience of form. Uh, and something like water, which gives us the experience of taste, uh, earth, which gives us the experience of smell. So five senses, five elements. This is how they mapped it. All this is there in the Vedanta Sala. Therefore, when you talk about these elements, 
the unique property of space or ether here would be sound. And the unique property of, um, of uh, air would be touch, but air also has sound. And the unique property of fire would be form, but uh, fire also has sound and, uh, and what else? Uh, sound and touch. Then the so unique property of fire would be form, but form is in the sense of radiance, light and heat. Then the unique property of, um, so how does air bring about touch? And just wave your hand, you feel touch. Uh, it's just vibration. Think about it as, as the movement of something. Space by itself doesn't bring about touch, but there must be some vibration somewhere, some contact which makes, brings touch. And then, um, then there is water, which has the unique property of taste. But it also has uh, sound and uh, touch and um, uh, form. Then the last one, earth, has all the other four. four um, we can, it can, uh, you know, senses will contact the earth. It has sound. It has touch. It has uh, form. It has taste. But also has the unique property of smell. All right. So five um, uh, elements with five unique properties, but each is more. Uh, complex than the earlier one. Space is the simplest, Earth is the most complicated. So this is how they thought of the universe, not as a scientific uh, you know, uh, way of dealing with objects in the universe, where you need a comprehensive description. Do you remember um, in Vedanta Sara, we talked about the different forms of living beings. It's such a rudimentary biology, four kinds of living beings, those which are born of uh, the womb, those which are born of the eggs, those which are born of um, the earth and those which are born of moisture. Uh, that's so crude. But the point is not to describe biology or the variety of bewildering variety of life. The point was to set up the way we look at the universe just directly, what is, might be in philosophy called, um, called phenomenologically. We look at the universe and then use it to step backwards, to step inwards and point out the reality at the heart of it all. All this is to give a background to what Krishna is going to say. Why does he suddenly say, I am taste in water? Notice, he says, I am taste in water. I am the light in fire. I am, uh, he will later on say, he say, I am sound in space. Things like that. So why is he saying those things? Those are the unique things which make that element what it is. I'll repeat. Those are the unique qualities which make that element what it is. So, what, the, what does what constitutes the unique quality of water? Taste. And Krishna says, I am taste. And a non-dualist, Advaitin, like ourselves, we might say, Yes, yes, I understand that you are none of water is none other than you because you are the existence. So water exists, therefore, it must be none other than you. But he says, no, more than that. Even the unique quality which make not only existence, which makes um, water, water not only exist, but it gives it its unique nature as water. It feels like water. That also I am. I, the Lord, are the God of this universe, this transcendent, immanent reality pervading everything, not only as existence, but also as the unique qualities which makes for this entire diversity. So I am the taste in water, O son of Kunti. I am the light and radiance in the sun and the moon. I am what is the entire Vedas. It is nothing other than um, the whole thing can be condensed in Om, basically. So I am the essence of the Vedas, Om. I am sound in space. 
What is the unique quality of space? Sound. I am the, the manliness in, human, in men or just the capacity, human capacity in human beings, that which makes a human being a human being. So all these unique and distinguishing characteristics, that too I am. It raises an interesting question. So you are the taste in water, you are the sound in, uh, in space. Uh, later he will say, I am the smell in the earth. So can God be smelt, tasted, touched and heard? Yes and no. Not really. But yes, only in the sense of what we studied in uh, Up Upanishad, Kathopanishad, the idea of Upadhi. It's like saying, suppose there is somebody driving a car in a, in a movie. Can I say that the screen drives a car? No, not really. But then other than the screen, there is nothing. If you say that uh, there is a car and the, the film star, the movie star is driving a car in the movie, there's a road and there are people around. Yes, in that sense, it's all made possible by the movie screen. Your own mind in the dreams. So mind itself is sky and earth and chair and table and friends and cups of tea and cookies. Really? So can the mind be tasted and smelled and touched and can you interact as friends? No, they all appear because of the presence of the mind. Similarly, here, not really that God has a taste and a smell and a sound, but it makes all of this possible. Then he goes on. Punyo gandha prithivyamcha tejas chasme vibhavaso Jeevanam sarvabhuteshu tapas chasme tapas vishu. I am the pure odor in earth, brightness in fire, life in all beings, and austerity in the ascetics. Punya gandha pritivyamcha. I am the smell in the earth, the fragrance. But he makes sure it's, it's not a nasty smell. It's, he says pure. Uh, and then the commentator Shankaracharya adds, this should be understood in all, in sound, in space, and um, you know the touch and the radiance of uh, fire and uh, the taste of uh, uh, of water or whatever it is. So all of this, uh, in, in a sense of it's being manifestation of qualities in their purest and best forms. And then what about the rest? Shankaracharya adds, that's all due to our sins. <laughs> this is all due to causality, law of karma leading to its manifestation in various forms, higher and lower. But the initial creation by God uh, is all pure and all good. In the biblical sense, you know, that there, when creation is talked about, and God created the earth and he saw that it was all good. Here Krishna says, it is all pure and divine. And the rest is our problem. One question may be raised here is that, oh, so for example, that the ignorance we are born with, because of which we are in, um, in so much trouble, uh, we, are, we are in samsara and we are suffering, all the evil. So is, why isn't Krishna mentioning that? All the imperfections. That is at our level. Vidyaranya Swami calls it Jiva Srishti. God is very clear about this. All this, I am the very existence of it all. Not only that, 
all the good things i am the uh, i am responsible for it but what about the nasty stuff you are responsible for the good you must be responsible for the nasty ones nope that's your problem and that doesn't seem fair but it's lo- logical it's rational because the proof of this is notice what happens after enlightenment all that seems bad or wrong from our perspective from the enlightened one's perspective that goes away the enlightened one sees all as brahman but all these things created by god will those things remain or not they will remain since it's the creation of ishwara the enlightened one will see the flower and its fragrance as brahman no doubt but also will continue to see the flower and the fragrance we'll see the redness of the rose and the fragrance of the flower uh will continue to see all the variety in the world and know that it is brahman so ishwara srishti the projection or the creation of god will not go away after enlightenment oh so everything is going to remain as it is not as it is you will realize it is none other than brahman what krishna is saying here all these varieties of difference which you see here i am that that will that you will see right now for example we taste smell here see our senses are working but we don't see it as krishna we don't see it as god the enlightened one will see that and that solves the entire problem of creation for the enlightened one for us we just see uh, air water fire earth we just smell taste uh, touch here uh, and that's it we don't see the divinity behind everything so he says i am the pure odor in the earth and shankaracharya says extend this to everything the pure taste in water the pure forms of um, all radiance of light and so on and the sound in the in the ether and so on i am brightness in fire i am life in all beings and austerity in the ascetics life is that which makes us living beings that is god austerity that which gives power to the ascetics all the yogis and all that also comes from god god alone manifests all that shankaracharya in his all his commentary he says pravatam all these things are set in god remember this is the second conception of god where all this universe is included in god not as a bowl in which you have put some peanuts or something but rather like uh, the pearls in a in a necklace or even more like the cloth which appears when you weave thread together the thread is god the cloth is we see this as this universe so the whole universe is set in god the words he uses are so all the ascetics are set in um, brahman the wor- the world all living beings are set in brahman all uh, you know heavenly bodies and everything vedas human beings all are set in brahman बीजमाम सर्वभूतानाम विद्धि पार्थ सनातनम बुद्धिर्बुद्धिमताम अस्मी तेजस तेजस्विनामहम नोमी ओ पार्थ टू बी द इटर्नल सीड ऑफ ऑल बीइंग्स एंड द इंटेलिजेंस ऑफ द इंटेलिजेंट एंड द प्रोवेस ऑफ द पावरफुल सो ही सेज बीजमाम सर्वभूतानाम विद्धि आई एम द सीड ऑफ ऑल बीइंग्स at this point we might say seed means origin the cause of all beings we might say you already said that 
You are the cause of the universe. You didn't have a long discussion, material cause, instrumental cause, and so on. No, here he's saying something more. He's saying each individual thing has its own cause. And I'm the cause of each individual thing. I am actually the seed of the plant. I'm actually the milk which becomes the yogurt. I'm actually the father and mother which becomes the child. So actual causes and effects in this world, all that I am. Not just pure being, Satchidananda. Not even just God with the power of Maya. Beyond that, individual causes also I am. They are not outside me. That's what he means. Bijam maam sarvabhutanam vidhi. Know me to be the cause of everything that happens here. And, and every being that you see around you. Buddhi muddhi asmi. I am the intelligence of the intelligent. That is my power. And I am the splendor or the, the glory of the, of the effulgent. The teja means the radiant or the, um, you know, those who are powerful. Then next. Balam balavatam asmi kama raga vivarjitam dharma viruddho bhuteshu kamo smi bharatarshabha. Same vein is continuing. I am the strength of the strong, free from passion and attachment. And O best of the Bharatas, Arjuna, I am the passion in the people. I am that passion in people which is unopposed to one's duty, dharma. So again, he is saying here, in the strong, in the mighty, I am strength. And those who have desire, I am that desire. And immediately he qualifies it. He says, I am the strength in the mighty, in the strong, which is uh, free of kama raga vivarjitam. This is raga dvesha. This is the opposites of, you know, which, which creates all this samsara in this world. This bala, the power, um, strength, it is affected by our uh, individual conditioning. What is the conditioning? There are things which we want in this world. And there are things which we have already got, which we, we would like to uh, protect in this world. So, um, the commentator says that those, the things which we do not have, we want to acquire those. And things which we already have, we want to um, hold on to those. And often, this is the tendency which takes us beyond morality, beyond ethics. I want something so badly, I'm attracted to it so badly, though I know it to be wrong, I overstep the limits, you know, the Lakshman Rekha, which is uh, overstep the limits of what I, sh I, I can or should do. I dislike somebody or someone so so much, something, somebody, so, someone so much, that I become angry and I am unfair, I am unjust, I am cruel, I am, um, you know, I, I am unethical in my behavior or not kind in my behavior, just out of my repulsion. Now, that's my individual conditioning. You might say, no, but things are good and bad. There are good and bad things. True. But remember, two different people will deal in the same situation. They'll deal different, differently. So our conditioning is very important, very central to our reactions to the world. Our conditioning is Raga Dvesha. Now, Balam Balavatamaham, the power, strength, free of this Raga Dvesha, not conditioned of this Raga Dvesha. This is what, what Krishna says. God says, I have given you power. But that you have distorted by your likes and dislikes. That you have distorted by your conditioning. Distorted by your conditioning, now you use it for um, you know, personal gain. You use it for hurting others. 
and you are trapped in samsara. The strength which I gave you, the power which I have given you, so it need not just be physical strength. It could be, uh, you know, it could be talents. Somebody is a great writer. Uh, somebody is a wonderful singer or an actor. And these talents can actually be used and should be used. Uh, they can help us in our development, ultimately in spiritual life. All of these can help. Talents can help. But we, not we, but our likes and dislikes, raga, dvesha, usually hijack everything. They spoil everything in life. The moment they touch, uh, our likes, uh, likes and dislikes touch our talent. It becomes subverted to some samsaric purpose. The ego now uses that talent to glorify itself. So I am a great singer or writer, but now I, am I famous? On what um, level is my, am I getting awards? How, my, how much my book is selling? Uh, how much uh, uh, views my song is getting? Um, so all this is ragadvesha, likes and dislikes. Every talent is, you can see it as God-given, but it, it has to be um, used for one's development. I'm not even saying spiritual development. First of all, one's own self-development, what Maslow called self-actualization. That really forms uh, a well-rounded personality, a fully developed personality. And then for spirituality. Some of our old monks would say to young people who come to join, what do you want? We want to be, I want to be a monk. He said, first become a gentleman, then you can be a monk. So that means there's a certain level of development that one must have in morals, ethics, in culture, in behavior. And then we can think of spirituality. But all of this is spoiled because of raga and dvesha. So not just physical strength, any talent is also implied here. Then he says, he goes even further, he says, desire. Yes, even passion, all of that, I am. Krishna says, I am the passion in the passionate. I am the desire in the desires. But that which is within the bounds of morality, that which is, is not opposed to dharma, the desire that makes us overstep the limits of dharma, Krishna is saying, I'm not that. Don't blame me. Just as you cannot blame me for a tyrant who exercises um, strength to oppress others. Oh, Krishna, you said you are strength. And see, he is using the strength to oppress me. No. That is strength conditioned by, limited by, distorted by Raga Dvesha. And desire, which makes, which is the prime cause of making people do evil things. You know, um, you know detectives, when they investigate a crime, what do they say? Follow the money. Where, where is the money? Who wants the money? If you find that out, you will find the criminal. They will try to find out who benefits from this crime. So crime is done for personal gain, for um, you know, one, when one oversteps the limits of morality because I just can't control either fear or temptation, terror or temptation. Some people commit crimes out of terror. Some problem is there, they can't face it. Or out of temptation. So Krishna says, Yes, I am even desire, but that is which is within the limits of dharma. Certainly, desire is the motive force in this universe. Desire is the motive force, that which leads us to self-development and growth for, you know, in, a, in the range of human life. There is this, I mean, if you leave the yogis and the spiritual seekers aside, 
in the generality of human culture, if you see people all around, ambition, desire, the wish to do something good, that's good. That really develops that person and gets great stuff done by that person. Things happen because of desire. Only that desire has to be in the limits of dharma or morality or ethics. That's what he says. Dharma viruddho bhuteshu kamo asmi bharatashaba. I am desire in all beings, but aviruddha, not contradicted by, which does not contradict dharma. Which, uh, of course, Shankaracharya, the commentator, ever the monk, so he gives an example of what desire is all right. So if you feel hungry, you can eat. That desire is all right. So <laughs> he is pretty strict about what he is, what is allowed and what is not allowed. He, and that also he says, in order to retain life in the body, for, for continuing your life, so you need to be alive to continue your spiritual practices to attain enlightenment. So it is all right. You have a desire to eat. You can go and beg for your food in the nearby village and eat what is given there. That much is all right. Not more than that. Then, the next one. Yechaiva sattvika bhava raja satama sashchaye all these sattvika, uh, rajasika and tamasika states that are there, know them to be born of me alone, but I am not in them, though they abide in me. Now, interesting comment here. So everything. It's not just uh, the sun and the moon and the Vedas and human beings and uh, passion and strength, but everything in this universe. Uh, is I alone am all of them, not only as Satchidananda existence, but also the little differences, the, all the specialities in all of them, the uniqueness in all of them, they all come from me. And they are all good. They are not what binds you in samsara. Remember, God's creation, this universe, sky and earth, they do not bind us. Fire and water, they do not bind us in samsara. What binds us in samsara is our uh, ignorance, ignorance of the real nature. What Krishna is telling us that I alone am all this. This ignorance, we don't know it. We don't see it that way. We just see the appearance. We don't see the reality behind it. So he says, I am all of it. What, what is all? Whatever you see here. Whatever you see here, he classifies into three. Sattvic, Rajasic and Tamasic. So we know these are the constituents of Maya. Maya has transformed into this universe. So everything in this universe must be Maya. Must be Maya means must be Sattvic or rajasic or tamasic what does he mean by these things it means all things all beings all states of mind all actions everything is these three uh, for example shankaracharya says because of past karma some beings have are born in sattvic states so a sattvic person the body mind is sattvic and it is very conducive to the practice of spiritual life um, others are born with, uh, you know, rajasic uh, mental makeup. And uh, so there is desire, anger, dynamism, all of that is there. Some are unfortunately born with a tamasic um, makeup, body-mind makeup, which, which makes them prone to maybe inertness, slowness, even disease. 
so it becomes more difficult to practice spiritual life. Remember, later on Krishna will say that all of them can be spiritual. All of us, does not matter what our makeup is. It's just that if our constitution is not sattvic, our struggle is that much harder. If the constitution is sattvic, the practices, meditation, service, devotion, um, philosophical inquiry, all of them come easily to a sattvic mental makeup, a sattvic personality. To a rajasic or a tamasic personality, they have to struggle more. That's all. But everybody can become spiritual. That's the uh, teaching of the later chapter. There will be chapters later, which we'll talk about it. So he says, but all of these, they come from me. It's not that only the sattvic ones come from me. The rajasic and tamasic ones also come from me. I alone appear as all these forms. Of course, there's another way of dividing it also. The rajasic are the beings who take birth in the higher worlds, the devas. The, the, sorry, not rajasic, sattvic. The rajasic are the ones who take birth in this mortal world like us. And the tamasic are those who take birth in as um, animals and plants and so on. Or maybe even the hellish worlds and so on. But that doesn't concern us so much. It's more us as human beings. Some we have a predominantly sattvic disposition. Some we have a predominantly rajasic and some predominantly tamasic. But all of us, we can become spiritual. And remember, all of these come from God. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Arpanamastu